Welcome to Season 2 of the Adult Children Voices Across America Speakers Meeting Podcast. You can attend this meeting live on Thursdays at 6 p.m. Pacific Time using the Zoom ID 848-5208-0640, password 061120. For more information about adult children of alcoholics and dysfunctional families, visit adultchildren.org. The following speaker share from Laura M. was recorded on March 3rd, 2022. Hey, good evening. My name is Laura M. and I am a grateful recovering adult child of an alcoholic. I'm going to be your speaker tonight. Um, I actually shared my story a couple of months ago. And Dottie reached out to me and she said, hey, would you be our speaker again, but this time speak on a topic? So I chose a topic tonight, uh, one that I have come up against quite a bit. And first, a disclaimer. First of all, I am not an authority. I don't have a lot of initials after my name with multiple degrees of any sort. Um, I got an undergraduate degree in English and another one in Spanish. I'm going to be sharing from my experience, my strength, my hope. If you're new to ACA, you may hear something that you resonate with. Awesome. If you don't, it's okay. It just means that you and I aren't connecting, which is also okay. I just encourage you to go to other meetings and talk to other people. Uh, just a real quick synopsis of who I am. Uh, I grew up in northern New Jersey. Um, my mother was the alcoholic, uh, a narcissist. Um, she used to have blackouts, not pass up, but blackout, where she would uh, not remember anything. And then she would gaslight me and tell me that uh, what I knew to be true was not true. Uh, my father was. Um, chronically depressed, uh, physically abusive. Um, and I had an older brother, uh, five years older, and pretty much everything trickled down to me. So I got abuse from him as well. Uh, I got into recovery early. Uh, I, I came into Alateine when I was 11. Technically I came into preteen because I was too young for Alateen. And my mother got sober and my life got worse. It got worse when my mother got sober. Uh, so I, I was in Alatine, Al-Anon, ACOA, out, then in AA, excuse me, not A, OA again. And this past six plus years, I've been in ACA again, solid. So I've got all sorts of um, recovery time, uh, but they have a great saying in AA, um, the person with the longest recovery is the one who got up earliest this morning. So just wanna share that with you. I slept in, so there you go, for whatever that's worth. Now, my topic tonight is progress, not perfection, integrating and quieting the inner critic and getting unstuck. And just as a point of reference, I am a perfectionist. So when I chose this topic, nobody twisted my arm. I immediately went into full um, 
I'm an imposter, I can't do this. I, I went into paralysis, procrastination, um, all driven by perfectionism, which is grounded in fear. So even if I never shared with you tonight, I had all sorts of growth experiences preparing for this. So I highly recommend service. All right. I uh, prepared by writing up a document for myself. So I'm going to do a lot of reading off of that. And then later on, I'm going to share screen share parts of it. Um, so bear with me, please. Uh, before I start, I'm going to just say a quick prayer. I am enough. I have enough. I do enough. And I have to remind myself of this because I am a perfectionist. Okay. So in myself, perfectionism arose as a fear-based response to trauma. My little child self, sweet, innocent, and vulnerable, scrambled to make sense of the confusing violence, the bewildering disorder, and the chronic abandonment that I experienced on a daily and nightly basis as a child. Here's a couple of things that our literature has to say about perfectionism. Perfectionism, perfectionism is a response to a shame-based and controlling home. The child mistakenly believes she can avoid being shamed if she is perfect in her thinking and acting. That's the Big Red Book, page 36. To admit an error or to appear less than perfect is equated with extreme fear or a feeling of being unduly vulnerable. That's from the Yellow Workbook, page 119. As children, many of us were either subtly or overtly shamed on a regular basis. We lacked true acceptance from our parents and learned to internalize the shame. We got the message that we were not okay as we were. Some of us tried to act in ways that garnered the approval and love we so longed for. We learned to associate being imperfect with being unlovable. And that's from the Daily Reader, Strengthening My Recovery on page 293. So I learned this lesson, right? I equated being imperfect with being unlovable and a target for criticism and abuse. So I tried harder. Little three-year-old, four-year-old, and five-year-old Laura tried harder to get mommy to love me. I tried harder to get daddy to stop hitting me. And I tried harder to get big brother to stop hurting me. And when the rules changed, which they always did, I tightened the screws and pretzeled myself to be perfect. Okay, the Big Red Book says, in other homes, the children are like objects of perfection to be displayed alongside dinners, centered on tables with fine fixtures, perfect posture, and orderly spoons and forks. Holidays and celebrations bring guests who compliment the parents for sparkling floors and perfect children. That's on page 37 of Big Red Book. So like shame and abandonment, perfectionism is passed on as a generational trauma. And I internalized these messages so thoroughly that I objectified my own children with perfectionist ideals. See, that's, the, that's like my 
one of my biggest forms of grief is that it was bad enough that it all happened to me. And I was in recovery and in theory knew better and yet I still passed it on to my children. I didn't think I was doing anything wrong. In fact, I wanted to be the best mother possible and to raise socially savvy kiddos. And I did, but at what cost? I thought I was an improvement over my father who backhanded me at the kitchen table. And I thought I was much healthier than my mother's alcoholic blackouts. But my unrealistic expectations and criticisms scarred my children. And I'm just gonna pause here to mention the ninth step. So in our ninth step, we make amends. And I did, and it was, it was really hard. It was really hard, especially making amends to my children and to my ex-husband. And if you're working the steps, my experience is that step four and step nine are the two hardest. This is my personal experience. Step four, being completely transparent with myself. And step nine, being completely transparent with other people and taking responsibility for what I've done. So hang in there. You don't have to do it alone. Okay, so speaking of abandonment. Abandonment, this, where is this from? The Big Red Book. Abandonment can take many forms. One form is as simple as the parents leaving the child alone without returning. It can involve parental perfectionism in which a child's behavior never measures up. Parents abandon their children when they fail to praise or recognize a child's true effort to please the parent. Instead, most parents are quick to criticize and correct a child's behavior, but rarely find time to praise the child or build confidence for good choices. As a result, most adult children have a critical parent inside. The critical inner parent berates and undermines the person at almost every turn. This critical inner parent is a form of self-abandonment. Shame and abandonment. That's how our dysfunctional families controlled us as children. I'm just gonna repeat that because that's so freaking huge for me. Shame and abandonment is how my dysfunctional family controlled me as a child. Uh, we came to see our parents as authority figures who could not be trusted. Big red book, reviewing the laundry list, trait one, page 11. Alrighty, so big deep breath. As a child, I was afraid and scrambling, scrambling to cope, right? I learned perfectionism as a coping mechanism. And so here's the gotcha. It worked, right? It worked. I'm 57 years old. I am alive. Perfectionism and the codependence dance that accompanies it kept me alive. I am the girl who lived, right? <laughs> it's a blessed miracle that I'm here today, but I am. And I think perfectionism fueled by fear kept me alive. Oh, I just remembered, I gotta get something. Hold on. I have been reading an insightful book 
written by Pete Walker. It's called Complex PTSD. And I'd like to share his thoughts on trauma and perfectionism as he discusses it in chapter six, what's my trauma type? This all comes together, probably feels very tangential, but hang in there with me. So Pete Walker says, variances in your childhood abuse, neglect pattern, birth order and genetics result in you gravitating towards a specific 4F survival strategy, fight, flight, freeze, fawn. You do this as a child to prevent escape or ameliorate further traumatization. Fight types develop a narcissistic-like defense. Freeze types develop a dissociative-like defense. And fawn types develop a codependent-like defense. Um, there are numerous positive characteristics of each of those four F types. I just wanna to touch on some because we're gonna talk about negative characteristics. But let me touch on the positive ones first. And all this is in his book. Okay, the fight type, you'll see assertiveness, boundaries, courage, moxie, leadership. The flight type, disengagement, healthy retreat, industriousness, know-how, and perseverance. The freeze type, acutely aware, mindful, poised readiness, peace, and presence. The fawn type, love and service, compromise, listening, fairness, and peacemaking. He says, those who are repetitively traumatized in childhood, that would be me, often learn to survive by overusing one or two of the 4F responses. Fixation in any one 4F response not only limits our ability to access all of the others, but also severely impairs our ability to relax into an undefended state. Additionally, it strands us in a narrow, impoverished experience of life. So right there, he summed up my life in those two sentences. I have a limited ability to reach into these other responses and I have difficulty relaxing into an undefended state. And I've led a pretty narrow, impoverished experience of life. And I don't mean poor, I'm talking about emotionally and spiritually. Okay, now it's time to share a screen with you. Okay. Excessive reliance on fight, flight, freeze, or fawn response is the traumatized child's unconscious attempt to cope with constant danger. It is also a strategy to strengthen the illusion that her parents really cared about her. So what does this have to do with perfectionism? Pete Walker has a couple of, He's one of those folks with a lot of initials and education that I don't have, right? And he's broken out some of the characteristics of these 4F responses. So fight type are often narcissistic, controlling, enslaving, type A personality, autocrat, and demands perfectionist, perfection. 
The flight type, obsessive compulsive, rushing or working, trying to outrun their pain. An adrenaline junkie, or as we would say, addicted to chaos. A micromanager and compelled by perfectionism. The freeze type, dissociative, hiding, camouflaging, couch potato, hermit, and achievement phobic, the opposite of perfectionist, right? Uh, the fawn type, codependent, servitude, groveling, people pleaser, slave, and social perfectionism. So he goes a step further and he talks about the distortions of this attachment style, these attachment styles, and safety instincts. And under, under fight, he's got control to connect and rage to be safe. Under the flight type, be perfect to connect and perfect to be safe. Under the freeze type, no way I'll connect, hide to be safe. And then the fawn type is merge to connect and grovel to be safe. So this is a lot of information, but what I'm seeing, what's jumping out at me are um, how often I see perfectionism in this. You know, demanding perfection, um, being compelled by perfection, social perfectionism, being perfect to connect, perfect to safe, to be safe. Um, there's just, there's so much here, right? Okay, now I have to go back and I have to stop sharing screen. Okay, so I looked back at my childhood and thought that my trauma response was freeze. That resonated the most for, with me because of the survival mechanism that I instinctively employed as a child was dissociative, forget. And I'm capitalizing forget as another 4F response, if that makes sense. My little self could not cope with reality that included mommy's blackouts and her ensuing black uh, gaslighting um, and dad's punishments. So I learned to forget them as quickly as I could. I wanted to selectively forget only the bad, but instead I forgot everything. As a result, my memory is a wide open blank expanse peppered by a few usually traumatized events. So before looking at these characteristics and distor distortions, I assumed I was a freeze type. Now I feel that I internalized responses from fight, flight, and fawn as well, especially considering my excessive demands for perfection from others and my crippling drive to be perfect. I needed to be perfect to be lovable, to be accepted, and to be safe. My perfectionism may have helped me to survive a traumatic childhood and get me to age 57, right? But that perfectionism does not serve me now as an adult. My perfectionistic black and white thinking drove people away from me. I was an impossible boss, an insufferable employee, and a critical parent. And although my perfectionism often drove me to perform and excel, it also severely hampered me. I am a fear-based person. I'm involving, but I'm a fear-based person. Perfectionism is a fear-based response. 
If I am in an anxious and or fearful state, whether that is conscious or not, and I, I must perform perfectly, I am often thrown into chaos. My thinking reverts to one of two black and white mental states. And this happened when I was preparing to talk to you tonight, when I was preparing this stuff, okay? Uh, the first state is procrastination, which is fueled by fear, insecurity, and dread. The second state is paralysis, which is complete shutdown. So fear plus perfectionism equals paralysis. And that's when I get stuck. So stuck, like stuck and defeated and negative. I spiral and I spiral and I spiral. And my critical inner parent whips me and my inner child just cries. And I know I'm not alone in this. I, I know that this is not a uniquely Laura situation. So what do I do? How do I get unstuck? How do I unlearn and move beyond my poisonous perfectionistic thinking? How do I redirect, diffuse, or integrate my critical inner parent who punishes me with perfectionistic criticism? Before I go on, let me share with you an analogy of mine that frames my inner landscape and the relationship between my inner child and my critical inner parent. You've heard the saying, let me, let me move this so I can see you. You've heard the saying of my inner child's driving the bus, right? Okay, so when I'm anxious, when I'm fearful, that's my cue that my little inner child is driving the bus. What that usually means is this little girl who's maybe four years old is sitting on stacked uh, phone books because she can't look over the wheel. She can't see out, right? So she's sitting on some phone books. Her little legs are so short, she can't reach the brake, but somehow she can reach the accelerator. So all she can do is go faster, right? She's got this big wheel. She's sliding around on these, these phone books, she can only go faster. The worst part of it is my bus is stuck on a deeply rutted country road going through forest and there are potholes. And when I say it's deeply rutting, the undercarriage of the bus is scraping on rocks and boulders. You would think this was a four wheel drive Jeep track, okay? So here's this little four-year-old who can't stop the bus, can't steer out of these ruts, can't avoid the trees or the boulders. All she can do is go faster. That's awful. So sitting next to her in, in the, the front um, passenger seat is my critical inner parent. My critical inner parent's role, honestly, seriously, is to try and keep me, my little self, and everybody on the bus safe. That's all she wants to do. She just wants me to be safe. But her energy and my inner child's fear feed each other. So my critical inner parent can't say, hey, baby girl, just take your foot off, off the accelerator. It's okay, we're gonna coast. We're gonna coast, just breathe, it's gonna be okay. We'll just wait for mommy to get here, meaning me, right? 
No, my critical inner parent is saying, oh my God, there's a boulder, watch out, and the trees, watch out, what are you doing? You need to steer, what do you think you're doing? You know, all of that negativity, right? Just imagine if you've ever taught a teenager how to drive, you know what I'm talking about. <laughs> so we've got my critical inner parent, we've got my inner child. When I'm anxious, that's what's going on, right? My inner child is trying so hard to do an adult's job. So when I realize I'm anxious, I need to be aware. Those are my inner child's feelings. And that's my cue to get on the bus and scoop her up and give her a hug and walk her back to her booster seat, strap her in, give her a juice box and some Cheerios, you know, blow raspberries in her neck, make her giggle, tickle her toes, and then go back to the driver's seat. When I hear internal negativity or criticism, I realize that those are projections from my critical inner parent. And that's my cue to get back on the bus and invite my critical inner parent, who has been only trying to keep me safe, to relax at the back of the bus and to put her feet up and, you know, snag some Cheerios and a juice box and just chill out. Because she doesn't have to do that. Because I can drive the bus, right? And I've got GPS. Well, I've got it, my higher power, which is the same thing, right? So when I'm stuck in perfectionism, paralysis, I realize that my inner child is overwhelmed and shutting down and that her anxiety is being fed by my perfectionist critical inner parent. Okay, so what do I do about it? This is how I get unstuck. First of all, I talk about it. I get transparent, I get honest. I get on the phone to my co-sponsor, my sponsees at meetings with friends, fellow travelers, and I break the don't talk rule. I talk about it and it's, it never ceases to amaze me how much that lifts so much of the anxiety. I break the don't feel rule. I remind myself that I get to have all of my feelings and that they're valid. I remind myself that feelings have a beginning, a middle, and an end, and that my feelings will not kill me. The feelings won't kill me. My reactivity, my self-medicating, that stuff can kill me, but the actual feelings won't, right? So I get to have them. Uh, what else do I do? I reach out to my higher power. I hold my higher power's hand, and I break the don't trust rule. I remind myself that I'm not alone, that I am lovable and that I am safe. I check in with my inner child. Is she panicking behind the wheel, unable to reach the brakes? Or is she belly down in a meadow watching a bunk parade? She's, you know, right? Where is she? Am I caring for her? I can be the adult when she can't be. She should never have to be the adult, right? I'm the adult. I have clarity about what is appropriate for a child versus an adult, and that can be remarkably empowering. And finally, I check in with my inner critic. If my inner critic, my critical inner parent, is swinging a perfectionist bullwhip and micromanaging from the passenger seat, I can disarm her. 
I can hug her and invite her to take a seat at the back of the bus. She's not the enemy. She has worked my whole life to keep me safe. And I can honor that. But I can also release her from her obligations so that she can relax. And by the way, sometimes that critical inner parent um, is morphed and is my critical inner teenager. You know, we've got a lot of, a lot of things going on on the bus. Okay. I didn't learn these survival traits like perfectionism overnight. I learned them and was molded by them as a little person. And I certainly won't fix them in a flash. It takes time, right? And I may only be capable, capable of a single baby step today. And that is also okay. My recovery is all about the baby steps taking those relentless baby steps, honoring the journey as I make the gradual progress. I, I'm, I'm such a broken record with this, but I get so tied up in perfectionism and black and white thinking and the way that I um, cancel that out is by allowing myself those baby steps and that progress and honoring it. Okay. Um, before I close, I just want to say that I've heard of, I think, six F-types. We talked about fight, flight, freeze, and fawn. But I've also heard fatigue, and of course, my favorite, forget. Fight, flight, freeze, fawn, fatigue, and forget. And I'm sure there are more, right? Okay, to close. My favorite sentence in strengthening my recovery is on December 2nd, which is page 349 in the little book. And it says, recovery unfolds gently over time. I seriously love this. This is so beautiful. It sounds like the unfurling of petals of a flower. And I want you to know, I am not an onion with layers to be peeled as I heal. I am an artichoke. And if you know what an artichoke is, it is a flower. It's a freaking flower and it has a heart. So I'm an artichoke. I am blossoming in my recovery, one petal at a time, one baby step at a time. And I don't know about you, but I deserve a gentle and kind recovery. And I can give that to myself. I think we all deserve that. And I think we all can have that. So thank you very much for listening.